behind every great command of God is the holy character and the mighty works of God. Behind the great commission lies what? Lies Jesus' work of atonement to reconcile us to God. We began our time in Colossians 1, hearing of Christ who is preeminent above all things, who created all things, and through whom God has reconciled all things unto himself. In Romans 5, Pastor Ricky read to us of the great peace that we have with God because he has justified us. We've been justified by faith, that we have peace with God through Christ our Lord. We read that great verse in Romans 5, 8, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So Paul goes on, he says, since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. What are you saved from? You are saved from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. What a, what a beautiful Beautiful passage that God shows his love for us. God initiates the work. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God sends his son. It is God's initiative, God's work. That we're saved by him, from him. (laughs) We're saved from the wrath of God. We're reconciled to God by God. We're reconciled to God by the death of his son. And so we rejoice in God. Christ. We rejoice. We sing in Christ. We sing to Christ. Why? Because through Christ we have received reconciliation. So our prayers, what our prayers? Let the nations be glad. We gather as those who are glad. We're glad to be saved from the wrath of God. We're glad to be reconciled to God. We gather as ones who say, man of sorrows, what a name, for the Son of God who came, ruined sinners to reclaim. Hallelujah, what a Savior. We gather, we stand as those who are glad because we know that bearing shame and scoffing rude, in my place condemned he stood, sealed my pardon with his blood. And so we say what? Hallelujah, what a Savior. We are glad because guilty, vile, and helpless, we, spotless Lamb of God, was He, full atonement. Can it be? <laughs> this is amazing. Full atonement? What is atonement? What does that mean? That's a, that's a big churchy word. J.I. Packer writes this, a very clear, concise definition of atonement. He says, it is making amends, blotting out the offense, and giving satisfaction for wrong done. Thus, reconciling to oneself the alienated other and restoring the the disrupted relationship. (laughs) One of the, the great blessings of salvation is that we who once were enemies 
of God have been reconciled to God through Christ. What a, what a great blessing to know that. That should cause us to say, hallelujah, what a Savior. What a beautiful picture of salvation. What a, what a beautiful foundation for what we come to this morning. And so I would say that before we go on, this morning we're going to ask the question, what is my mission? We're going to ask the question, if we're going to reach the world, we talked last week about the mission of God and the mission that he has given the church as a whole, as a corporate body. But before we go on, now we ask, what is my mission? What is it that God has called me to? But we cannot go there. We cannot think about our mission if we've never known the salvation that comes through Christ. You you can't be on mission for God, on mission with God, if you're an enemy of God. If you're an object of His wrath. If you're separated and alienated from God because of sin, you can't come into His mission. You can't fulfill His mission, His calling on your life. I can't go and proclaim, let the nations be glad if I'm not glad myself. And so I would ask this morning, first, before we move any further, do you know what it means to be reconciled to God? Do you know what it means to have been far and alienated, a stranger, an enemy of God, lost, dead in your transgressions and sins? And to know what it means To have had that moment where God opens your eyes, brings life to your heart, and you see and you behold that He truly is the Son of God. And you turn from your sin, you repent, and you trust in Christ and in Christ alone. And He takes you who are far off and brings you near into relationship with Him. Do you know that? Do you know what it is to be reconciled? That's where it has to begin. And so I would urge you, I would call you this morning, if you look and you say, I I don't know. If, If you sit and say, well, maybe. Well, I've heard that before. I would call you to turn and to turn from sin, to turn to Christ. I would call you to repent and believe this morning. Trust Christ. Call upon the name of Christ. God sent His Son. He came down. (laughs) He came down to dwell among us. He took on flesh. He died on the cross. He was our substitute. Let's pray together. God, I just want to pray this morning before we go any further. God, I want to pray for those sitting here this morning who have never turned away from sin and trusted the name of Jesus Christ. And I pray for those who are caught up in morality or religious deeds. Those who perhaps are too proud to submit their lives before men to you God would you stir in them would you work in them would you cause their eyes to behold 
your wonders anew. God, would you bring life to their dead heart that they would look up and declare, Hallelujah, what a Savior. God, I pray that you would do a great work of salvation this morning. And God, I pray that that we who are saved, God, that we would be encouraged by your word this morning. That we would look into your word and that we would be built up and equipped and strengthened in our faith to take the gospel to our neighbors, to our nation, and to the nations. We ask this in the name of Christ. Amen. As, as a child, I, um, my, we had a small farm. Dad had five acres, and we ran a few cattle on it, and then had, a, I don't know, 100, 125 acres across the street that we ran cattle on. And, and I, was, I was good with, with working with cattle and enjoyed that and helped Dad out. We got the opportunity one time to help on a pig farm. And I don't know how many of you have really been around a big pig operation. I guess that's what it's called. I don't know. That's probably not the technical farmer's terminology. But it was a big pig operation. And there were pigs everywhere. And so we, we got a call to help one time, one of my dad's friends. And we went out there, and this barn or building was full of pigs. And it was huge. As, as a small child, I felt like it was, like as far as my eye could see, was nothing but a, a building with pigs in it. And so we walk in, and it's just this long hall, hallway going down the middle. And on, on both sides, there's just pen after pen after pen after pen. And we had to separate the baby pigs, the piglets, from the sow, from the mama pigs. And so he said, all right, all I need you to do is go and grab the small ones and take them over there and put them over in, in the other pen. And I'm thinking, it smells really bad in here. I mean, it was one of the awfulest smells I've ever experienced in my life. And these things, they're wallowing. You know the old thing about pigs. They were dirty. And I was kind of going, uh, yeah, I don't know. And I was kind of looking at them. And they're, you know, and you, it's not like they're a, a kitten or a dog, they're not going, hey, pick me up and cuddle with me, you know, this was like an adventure, and I was kind of apprehensive, you know, I don't remember how old I was, I was a little guy, and I'm pretty sure my dad probably just took me just to watch me do this, I I think it was some kind of joke that he pulled on me, but he sent me in, and here I come, and after a few minutes, I finally like wrangle some pigs, and get them, and I throw them, and what I found out is this was a blast, as a kid, I went from being very apprehensive and very scared. I don't know if I was scared, but I was just, I was unsure. It's something I'd never done before. Chad Pierce is back there just laughing, going, what an what a interesting thing this is. But I was, I was victorious at the end of the day. I came out, and, and I loved it. I was covered head to toe in who knows what. But I had caught a bunch of pigs, and I sent them across the, the hallway or whatever it was, and we went home, and I went to school. I think I went to school for days smelling like that. We could not get the smell off of us. But here's what I learned. It's something that I was very apprehensive about. Once I did it, I learned that, that it was all right. It wasn't intimidating. There was nothing to be scared of. There was nothing to be apprehensive about. It was just something that I needed to do. And I did it, and I had fun. I enjoyed it. I learned. And I wanted to go back again. I don't think my mom could tolerate the smell. We walked in. She was like, uh-uh, get out of the house. And so we didn't get to go back to the pig farm. But it taught me that sometimes in our minds we can build something up to be so intimidating and so uh, something we're uncertain about and scared of that we just don't do it. 
I might have stood there all day had not my dad said, get in there, boy. <laughs> you know, and he did. He got me in there. He encouraged me. He said, it's fine. Go in there and do it. And I did it. And it was fine. And I think evangelism can be like this. When we think about what is my mission and my purpose in sharing the gospel, I think sometimes we don't realize the blessing it is to be a part of God's work. And in our minds, we can build it up to be so intimidating and, and kind of we get anxious about it. And we're like, I don't know. I'm really apprehensive about that. I don't know if I'm going to do it. And so we buy into these lies. I mean, I had all sorts of lies about the pigs. What if they bite me? What if they rip my ankle off? What if they, what if they, what if they? They're not going to do those things. What about evangelism? We get anxious about it. We're, we're intimidated by it, perhaps. And we buy into lies. See if any of these are lies that you've bought into before. I don't know any unbelievers. I guarantee you, you know some unbelievers. Uh, my testimony isn't impressive enough. Really? Were you once an object of God's wrath? but now you've been reconciled by God Almighty through the death of Jesus Christ, that you now have inherited eternal life and adopted as a child of the King? <laughs> that sounds like a pretty powerful testimony to me. What about this one? I'm, I'm not good at sharing the gospel. Really? Have you tried it? Are, are you good at, at sharing about North Carolina basketball? Well, you're probably not. I am. Are, are you good at talking about other things you like are you good at talking can you communicate i think you can probably share the gospel what about this one it's it's all up to me what if i say the wrong thing i i'm what if i mess everything up well guess what it's not all up to you if it was all up to me and all up to you we would be in a world of mess it's up to christ he does the saving he has called us to do the proclaiming what about this one my truth claim is no more true than someone else's. So what right do I have to come and to tell them that I know the truth? Can two differing truths, quote unquote, be true at the same time? Can, can this Bible be brown and pink? No, it's brown. It doesn't matter how many times you tell me this is pink, it's brown. Truths can't contradict. And so there is true truth. There is truth that needs to be declared. There is truth that needs to be told. And we behold the truth. We declare the truth. None of these lies are true, but they all hinder us from going into and practicing evangelism. They all, they all hinder us from engaging in God's mission. Fear and insecurity will bind us and cause us not to do what should be absolutely natural for the child of God, and that is to share about God. You, you, you meditated on 1 Peter 2, 9, that you are a holy nation, a chosen people, a people for God's own possession. Why? To proclaim the excellencies of of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That, that's why God saved us, that we would proclaim his excellencies. And so here's what I want you to realize before we get into it. We're going to be in 2 Corinthians 5, but as we get into 2 Corinthians 5, I want you to realize that it is absolutely natural for a Christian to tell other people about Jesus. That's just natural. That's who we are. And so my goal is we 
spend time in 2 Corinthians 5 this morning. My goal is not to twist your arm and to guilt you into sharing the gospel. I hope that this is simply an encouraging passage that encourages you to do what is natural for the child of God to do, to share the gospel, to tell people about Christ. And so as we get into 2 Corinthians, I want to give you just a few examples where we see that, that people in the New Testament simply shared about Christ and what he had done for them. So think about Mark 5. Do you remember Mark 5 when, when Jesus cast out the legion of demons from the man? And at the end, after this has happened, the man asked to go with Christ. He asked to follow along with him and to go and travel with him. And Jesus says, no, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And the man went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. He simply went and proclaimed what Christ had done. In John 4, the Samaritan woman, another passage that is familiar to many of you, many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of why? Because of the woman's testimony. She said, he told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to say to stay with them, and he stayed there two days, and many more believed because of his word. And they said to, his, to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Why did that happen? Why did they come to Christ? Why did they listen to Christ? Because of the woman's testimony. In Acts 3, you the lame beggar who is healed and it says, and leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. The, the natural thing was, was for him to voice praise unto the Lord. He didn't experience the blessing of God and then just sit back and go, well, now I don't want to tell anybody about it. I'm just going to go and sit and be happy. I'm going to go and sit and listen to teaching. No, he burst forth in praise for what God had done. He, in essence, shouted, Hallelujah! What a Savior. In Acts 4, verses 1 and 2, we see the testimony. We hear the testimony of Peter and John. These who had been scared and huddled in a room, frightened after the crucifixion of Christ. Now, in Acts 4, it says, And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed, because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. <laughs> they, they were talking so much of Christ that it was annoying people. People were bothered by it. The leaders were bothered. They were annoyed by Peter and John. In Acts 8, we read about Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. I, I love this passage. We'll just read some segments of it here. It says there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the Spirit said to Philip, Go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, Do you understand what you're reading? And he said, How can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. So what's Philip doing? Ah, you know what? I've got coffee in five minutes. I really need to take off. I've got to get down the road to Starbucks. No. Philip says, er, er, Let's see. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? And Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with the scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. <laughs> Philip sat down and just told him. 
He said, hey, I've read that too. I've actually read that. We studied that in Sunday school. Let me tell you what it's talking about. That's all Philip does. Acts 16, 10 to 34, we have the, the time where Paul and Silas, they start the Philippian church and they get thrown in jail. You, you know a lot of the story at the end. It says, then the Philippian jailer brought them out and says, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Seeing their testimony, seeing them praise the Lord in prison. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all who were in his house. And the Philippian jailer came to faith. Why? Because they spoke the word to him. We read in Philippians 3, 3-11, Paul's testimony of God's work in his life. We won't read that this morning. But it's the testimony where, where Paul says, listen, I was the Jew of all Jews. If you want to count on your religiosity, I, I could count on my religiosity far more than you could. If you want to talk about how, how good of a Christian you are, how good of a church boy or church girl you are, that's fine, but I'm going to go ahead and tell you, I far exceeded you in that area. But he says, but I counted all that as loss for the sake of knowing Christ, my Lord. And he goes on to give us testimony of his longing to know Christ, of, of Christ saving him by faith. It is absolutely natural for the child of God to proclaim God. It is absolutely natural for us to tell people about what Christ has done in our lives. It is natural. It's just who we are. We are those who are glad. We are those who long for the nations to be glad. We are those who sing, hallelujah, what a Savior. So let's look at 2 Corinthians 5, verse 16 to 21. We turn here, and we were in 2 Corinthians 4 a few weeks ago. We talked about the fact that in this portion of 2 Corinthians, Paul's defending his ministry, he's explaining his ministry, explaining why they do what they do, what drives them, what fuels them. We, we talked about 2 Corinthians 4, uh, I guess it was two or three weeks ago, the light of the gospel that is shone upon our hearts. He goes into 4-7 and describes that, that the treasure we possess in Christ, we hold it in jars of clay, fragile jars of clay, but, but we hold this imperishable, unbreakable power in Christ within he talks about our heavenly dwelling, that, that we are those who have a heavenly dwelling, right? We are in temporary tents, but our residence is in heaven. And so hear what he says in 2 Corinthians 5, starting in verse 16. He says, From now on, therefore we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore... If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making His appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him 
we might become the righteousness of God. Now, I'm just going to go ahead and put this out there. This passage has so much in there. I mean, there is a lot in this passage. And so I want to just narrow our focus this morning on the task we have to do evangelism. On our mission as we see in this passage. We're going to narrowly focus because I'm just going to tell you, if we don't do that, we will be here until supper. All right? So it's for your good this morning that we stay focused on just that area of this passage. All right? I told my wife to pack a lunch last night, and she looked at me and went, I don't understand what you're talking about. I said, that's good. I, I won't do that. All right. I want to show you in this passage five new realities for the believer. Five new realities for the believer that I believe are very encouraging and uplifting when I think about the call to do evangelism. And, and let me just be really honest with you. I, I, this is not an area of my life that I would say this is my strong suit. Like sitting down, just one-on-one, -on -one, striking up a conversation with a stranger, that's not my, my cup of tea. Some of you can walk in and talk to a wall. And some of you think I can do that. But believe it or not, that's, that's not me. I, I'm comfortable here like this. I'm comfortable in situations where, where I know what's going on and I, I'm, I'm, I'm involved in planning and those type things. But if you just throw me into a situation, boom, and I'm there and go, hey, tell us about this. I'm going, oh, you know, and I get nervous. That's your pastor. That's, that's me. And so these things, when I read these, I read these and go, thanks be to God. That encourages my soul. God, thank you for putting that in your word. And so I hope this encourages your soul too, okay? That's what my hope and my prayer is. Here's the first thing, first new reality. One, is that you live with a new perspective. So believers, in verse 16, we realize and we see that we live with a new perspective. What, what does that mean? Paul says, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Paul has just spent time talking about how, how we live with Christ in us. That there's more to us than just this physical building, this physical tent, this jar of clay that you see. We have Christ dwelling within us. And when we are absent from the body, we are present with Christ. Right? And he's talking about this spiritual side of us. And so now he says, listen, we don't regard everyone according to the flesh. We no longer do that. God has changed our perspective of others. Paul is essentially saying that we understand that people are more than just flesh and bones. See, here, here's, the, here's the narrative that you've been sold, that I've been sold by science. Science is great. I, I am a fan of science. I think God has given us science. It is a blessing. I want my kids to understand science. I'd love them to be scientists if that's what God calls them to be. I pray for our scientists to find a vaccine. But here's the narrative that science has wrongly sold, is that, that man is only physical, that man is only flesh and blood, that there's nothing else. That is not true. There is more to man than just our bodies. Man has a soul, and we cannot just regard man according to the flesh. We cannot just look and see, that is man, he is just flesh and bones. That's all there is. When he dies, he wastes away, and it is over. That is not true. In science, we can study how the body functions. We can study how it works. 
but we don't understand why. The why is answered by God. Because we understand that God made us and breathed life into us. That His Spirit dwells in us, that we have a soul and we are created in the image of God. And so Paul says, we no longer regard everyone just according to the flesh. He says, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh. Paul says, listen, I, I used to look at Jesus and go, that's just a man. He, look at that carpenter, that, that rebel rouser, that blasphemer, that, that teacher who's brought all these people and stirred up such a, such a trouble among us. We're going to stomp him out. We're going to get rid of him, just like the other teachers. We're going to get rid of him. He's a rebel rouser and he should not be here. But what happened? But God answered. God opened his eyes. God caused him to behold the truth that Christ was more than just a man. He opened his eyes to behold who Jesus really was, the Son of God. On the Damascus Road, God opens his eyes. So, Christian, at some point in your life, God opened your eyes to the fact that Jesus was not just a man. That Jesus was truly the Son of God. That he was more than just a man. He was more than just flesh and blood. God opened your eyes to behold that and to see that. And those of you who sit in here this morning that are not believers, you may view Christ as only a man. You may go, you know what? He was a historical figure. He really lived. And he died. But he was just a man. I would tell you today and declare to you today that he is more than just a man. He is the Son of God. And you need to have your eyes open to that and no longer look to Christ as just according to the flesh. Just like Paul. And when that happens, when God opens your eyes to understand that, you also realize and understand that man is special. There is something unique about man. There is something more mannish about man than any other part of creation. It's what Francis Schaeffer called the nobility of man. That, that man has the ability to think and the capacity and the framework for morals. That man can reason, that man can understand and look objectively and see something that is right and wrong, absolutely separate from his context. We understand morality. There is something unique about man. There is the existence of the soul. And so therefore we live with a new perspective. We do not regard man only according to the flesh. But we see that man is created in God's image, that he is truly separated from God. He has a body and soul that is separated from God and in desperate need of salvation through Christ. We live with a new perspective. Second, in 517, we learn that we are a new creation. Paul says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Can there be a more powerful, more encouraging statement about you than this? Christian, you are a new creation in Christ. The old is gone, the new has come. Now, now the key is what? If anyone is in Christ, in Christ, the key is Christ. Christ makes us new. Religion does not make you new. Good deeds does not make you new. Your intellect does not make you new. The philosophy of man does not make you new. Christ makes you new. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. 
So what does that mean? That means that your old fears, the sins that bound you, the selfish pursuits that wore you out, the shame and the guilt of your sins, it's all gone. You've been made new. What, what would cause you to be apprehensive about sharing the gospel and speaking of God's grace? What would cause you to cower in shame and go, I can't tell you the good news because you might know what I did in high school? I can't proclaim to you this because I'm not perfect. I can't do it. No, the old has gone. You do not find shame in that. Instead, you are real and transparent and say, this is who I am. I am not perfect. I am a sinner, but I am a sinner saved by God's grace, and he has made me new, and I am living my life for him. The old has gone. The new has come. It's gone. It, it is completed action. It is, it is passed away. The old has passed away. This talking about something that happened in the past and is completed. It is finished. It is the end of the former life. There is a difference. You have been made new. And the new has come. It is an action that has happened and continues into the future. So the old man is dead and gone. The new man is here and growing in Christ, being sanctified by Christ. We are growing in him. The old is, come, the old is gone. The new has come. We are a new creation in Christ. You're a new creation. You live with a new perspective. Third, you have a new ministry. You have a new ministry. Look at verse 18. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. What, what, did, he, what did he give us? The ministry of reconciliation. Who gave it? Do you, you, see, you know the subject here? We could, we could ask Lynn. Lynn could come in and be an expert witness here for what is the subject. The subject is... God, all this is from God, who what? Who through Christ reconciled us to himself and who gave us the ministry of reconciliation? God is the subject. God took the initiative. There was no third party. It did not happen because we reached up to the heavens. It happened because God took the initiative. God sent Christ and God reconciled us to himself. It happened because God so loved the world that he gave us his only son, that he came and he became a curse for us, Paul writes in Galatians 3. It happened because God loved us, and he demonstrated that love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And again, the action, what's going on here is important. He says that God reconciled us, right, who through Christ reconciled us. This is completed. This is something that is done. It is finished. Christ's work removed the brokenness and the separation between the believer and God. It has been finished in your life, believer. So now we read that because of that, what has God done? God has given us. He's gifted us the ministry of reconciliation. We have been given this new ministry of bringing others into a restored relationship with God. Others who are at enmity with God, we've been given the opportunity to be those who would say, I want to tell you how to go from being an enemy of God to being a friend of God. How to go from being separated from God to being in a complete relationship, a beautiful relationship and union with God. This is our mission. This is our mission, to tell others about Jesus and that their relationship with God might be restored. What is broken can be mended. What was separated can be joined. What was alienated can be brought near. 
That is our ministry. And it has been given to us by God. Fourth, you carry a new message. You carry a new message. Verse 19, he talks about this ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Paul Paul just explains, he says, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. This This is it. This is the ministry of reconciliation. That through Christ... God was not counting their trespasses against them. Why? Because Christ died on the cross in our place. The only way that your sins are not counted against you is if they have been counted against Christ. Christ died in our place. And so we have this new message. What does it say about this message? (laughs) It's entrusted to us. The last part of verse 19. God is entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. God God has given you that message. Now, I find this greatly encouraging. That God Almighty, in all that He could have done, He's unlimited in His goodness, in His power. In all that He could have done, in the ways He could have designed it, in His economy... His design, his plan was to save me and entrust me with the message to tell others. To say, listen, I saved you, I reconciled you, and I want you to tell others about that too. He's he's entrusted me with that message. We have a message to share. We have a good word to tell. We have news to proclaim. And it is good. It is good. I, I, w- I would pray that we would be good stewards then of that message. You, you might remember the, the, the parable that Jesus tells in, in Luke 19 of, of the three that are given ten minas. And the master goes away and he comes back and he asks him, what would you do with them? One, one invested and returned greatly. One invested and returned. But one hid it, didn't really do anything with it. And the master said, what in the world? This is Todd's paraphrase. What in the world are you thinking? Why would you do that? Why would you not go and multiply that? I I pray that, that we would not be like that third servant, but that we would be those who would go and be good stewards of the gospel that we've been entrusted with. That we would be those who would go and tell. That we would not be those who would sit back and try to keep it to ourselves. The gospel is not meant to be hidden away. It is meant to be shared abroad. So we need to be about sharing it. We have been given a new message. We have been carrying this new message. What are we doing? Are we just carrying it or are we sharing it? What are we doing with the message God has given us? And then fifth, you play a new role. You play a new role, believer. There's somewhat of a crescendo that Paul has come to here. There's somewhat of a a climax of, of a moment that Paul has been building to. And he comes here and he says, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making His appeal through us. We are ambassadors for Christ. 
Those who once have been jars of clay and described as a temporary tent in chapter 5 are now described with a new and a magnificent role. We are Christ ambassadors. We are those who represent the King of Kings. We are those who stand as representatives of the Lord of Lords. We stand to represent the Almighty, the one who spoke and creation came into existence. The one who made the sun stand still, that parted the waters. The one who walked on waters, the one who spoke authoritatively over all of creation and it calmed down. The one who is victorious over death, who brings forth life from the grave, who rose his very life. We represent him. We speak for him, we stand for him, we go in his name, we bear his work. And we do not do that as some proud, arrogant ambassador. We do not come to other people and say, Oh, you sinners, I wish you were like me. We don't come to them with our nice suits on, their nice collars, in pomp and circumstance with people praising Todd because how holy he is. He is not some special pastor that you should bow down to and pay homage to and listen to because he authoritatively speaks new truth? No. We come as ambassadors who have been saved. We come as ambassadors who say, I am a sinner saved by God's grace. We come as one who says, listen, I want to tell you about Christ. I I represent Christ. I want to speak to you on behalf of Christ because I was just like you. I I was once lost, but now I've been found. I, I once was a ruined sinner. But Christ reclaimed me. I once was guilty, vile, and helpless but Christ saved me I once was dead but God made me alive I know where you are but I also knew who I know who Christ is see we come as ambassadors to speak and proclaim the grace of God that we have experienced, that we know. And the beauty of this is that as we do, it says God, verse 20, God is making His appeal through us. (laughs) You're worried about saying the wrong thing? The Bible tells me That God is making his appeal through me. That's rather encouraging to me. I don't don't know about you. But that, that lifts my soul. To know that God is speaking through me. That that is that's an amazing thought. That's an incredible thing. That encourages me to step out and to ignore my anxieties, to ignore my fears, to ignore the what-ifs, and to open my mouth and share the gospel. 
because God is making his appeal through us. So if you're an unbeliever, I would beckon you come. I would beg that you repent and believe in Christ. Trust in Christ today. You're waiting to hear God's voice. (laughs) Has he not given you his word? Has he not given you the scriptures? Has he not revealed himself to you? Has he not given you the word of God that, that is able to make you wise unto salvation? And do we not understand? Are we not sitting here talking about the fact that God in his economy, in his plan, has said, I have given you my word, I have sent Christ, and now I want you to know that I have sent ambassadors, my people, to proclaim the gospel to you? And I am making my appeal through them. You're waiting to hear God's voice. Hear His word. Hear His people calling you to turn and call upon the King. Hear the good news. Hear the gospel message. Hear the truth that salvation is found in no one else but Christ. Trust Christ. Trust Christ. So let's wrap all this up. Let's make this something we can grab hold of. What's my mission? What's my mission? How do we define it? Your mission is to remember who you are. You're an ambassador of God Almighty. You represent Him and He has bestowed upon you a great honor to represent Him and He is speaking through you. He is making that appeal through you. You are an ambassador. So remember who you are. That's the first step. What's your mission? Remember who you are. Second, know the message you carry. Know the message you carry. You carry the message of reconciliation. It's the message that we believed and we cling to. It is the good news. You carry the message of reconciliation. So know that. And then next, embrace the ministry you've been given. Embrace it. This is a gift. It is a ministry that's been given to us. Embrace the gift that you've been given. Remember who you are. Know the message you carry. Embrace the gift you've been given. Live in newness of life. Live in newness of life. We are people creating the image of God who are spiritually dead and in bondage of sin until we turn to Christ. And He changes us. The, the old is gone. The new has come. So don't allow the sins of the past to bind you. Don't allow the insecurities, the fears to bind you. Live in the newness of life that God has given you. Live as the new creation in which you are. And finally, see people for who they really are. Live each day seeing people as who they are. They are people created in the image of God. They are people who need Christ. They are people in bondage to sin. Christian, they are people who are living exactly like you and I would live were it not for the Spirit's work in us. Do not merely see them as the world sees them. Do not see people as commodities to to buy, to sell, or to garner a vote. Do not see people as valuable only if they can give you something you want. 
see them as they truly are, as those separated from God in need of Christ. So live with that new perspective. Live in newness of life. Carry out the new ministry. Bear the new message. Fulfill the new role that you have as an ambassador. We are the people of God. We are those who love God and who are loved by God. We are the people of God. We are those who love one another as Christ loved us. We are the people of God. We are those who are set on reaching the world with the gospel for Christ. We are those who want to see the, the nations be glad. That is our prayer. Let the nations be glad. Let the nations exclaim, hallelujah, what a Savior. And that is our prayer so much so that we are undyingly committed to offer our lives to the Lord and say, God, wherever you lead, I will go. If you lead me to my neighborhood to walk across the street, I will go. If you lead me to make your name known in my business, I will do it. If you lead me to start a Bible study on my campus, I will do it. If you lead me to tell my son or my daughter, my mom, my dad, my cousin, my uncle, my aunt of Christ, I'll do it. If you lead me to, to plant a church in Utah, I will do it. If you lead me to plant a church in Columbus, I'll do it. If you lead me to plant a church in another part of Kentucky, I'll do it. If you lead me to go to the Middle East, I will do it. If you lead me to go to South America, I will do it. To Australia, I will do it. God, wherever you lead, I'll go. That's our commitment. Why? Because we have an unwavering focus that we will do all for the cause of Christ. That we live for the cause. And we will go for that cause and we will lift high the name of Jesus. We will lift high the name of Jesus. And that's what we're about to do. We're going to stand and we're going to sing. So Drew's going to come and he's going to lead us and we're going to stand and we're going to worship God this morning. We are ambassadors of Christ. We are the people of God. We've been given a mission. We've been given a message. And we're going to live for the cause of Christ. And we're going to declare that message. We're going to lift high the name of Christ. So let's stand and let's sing and let's rejoice in Christ our King.